A very warm welcome to the Working Wellbeings podcast. In this episode, Matt chats to Nick Davison, who started at Aviva and went on to be the head of wellbeing at John Lewis for over 10 years. Listen in as they discuss Nick's wellbeing journey, initiatives he's put in place, and advice he would give his younger self and others. So welcome, everyone. Um, Thank you, Nick. Thank you so much for joining us um, today. Um, I'd love to start by you just introducing yourself. Start from the beginning, really, in terms of where you started from in your career towards becoming a wellbeing leader and, and where that's led you to now. Okay, so uh, thank you, Matt, and uh, hello, everyone. Uh, so I'm Nick Davison. Uh, I'm now uh, an independent uh, wellbeing consultant um, and um, sort of board strategy advisor. Um, I suppose to go back to the beginning, so having just turned um, 60, um, I've, I've been in the workforce for about 40, just over 40 years. Um, and I haven't been in wellbeing kind of work that long. It started, I guess, probably in the mid uh, noughties, sort of 2004 through to 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, I was working as part of the strategy team in Aviva's health business in the UK. And um, two things I kind of led me into this wonderful world of wellbeing. Um, the first was um, we acquired an occupational health business from private ownership. Uh, and I was sent to, um, I was dispatched to kind of um, manage that uh, as a general manager for a couple of years. Uh, so that kind of brought me into the operational kind of sense of reactive health, um, looking very much around you know, fitness to work, uh, management referrals, health events, all those kind of traditional type stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when I returned back to the mothership in Aviva, um, this new kind of well-being wellness stuff was being talked about in the US and no one really knew what it was in this country. Um, so we did some um, some customer focus groups uh, and we did some kind of market definition of what we thought it was from a, on one end of a, um, a continuum of, of reactive support uh, where you'd expect to find private health insurance and, and treatment through to what were very much um, retail kind of focused propositions through to kind of spiritualistic, holistic type things. And, and clearly in the last sort of 15 or so years, things have changed enormously. But that was kind of how I, I kind of got into it. Um, and then after that, I was um, um, uh, lucky enough to join the John Lewis Partnership in 2011, um, initially as head of occupational health. Uh, and later became head of wellbeing um, with a remit to redesign the health services that John Lewis provides for his partners, um, but also then increasingly to take more responsibility for things like social wellbeing, emotional, financial uh, wellbeing as well. Mm-hmm. And that kind of gave us the opportunity of looking at integrating the proactive alongside the reactive. Um, so I feel very lucky to have um, had that opportunity. Uh, John Lewis is a wonderful place to work 80,000 co-owners largest co-owned business in the UK great brands um, and a value-based organization so to be there for 10 years um, left in February last year um, coinciding with that notable birthday um, to kind of actually explore some um, some other opportunities for myself in terms of working with sort of in smaller growth organizations yeah uh, which is where I am today Nice one. Can I ask you about, you mentioned that transition. So you were head of occupational health and then it became head of wellbeing. How did that happen? Is that your doing or was that the organization's doing? Or? Well, it was, it, was, um, it was the organization's probably, I guess. I, I think, um, so having redesigned occupational health, 
you know, one of the challenges in any large organization is consistency. You know, we, we operated from 400 sites, 80,000 people, and actually it's not okay when you're all co-owners that you get a different experience based on who you are, where you are. Um, so um, centralizing some of those services, introducing things like remote management for physiotherapy, um, you know, which was groundbreaking at the time. I know everybody does it now, but it, you know, in 2013, that was at the forefront. Um, likewise, with our mental health services, psychological services, um, you know, we kind of, we changed things. And, and from that became then, it's like, well, could you look at this as well? And actually what, what synergies are there or opportunities are there to look at um, things like social wellbeing is, is, is often forgotten. And yet actually engagement of employees is massive if you can get that right. You know, it doesn't have to cost a lot of money, but if you want people to think well of your organization, uh, to have great network relationships inside the business, it's a great way of having some fun and encouraging people to um, do stuff out of their work hours. You know, it's good. Um, yeah. yeah. That's of it. You're yeah, so right about social well-being. But it's kind of yeah. left behind a lot of the time. Or it's seen as the way to achieve some of the other well-being outcomes, right? But it, it's, it's an important factor in itself, I think. I, I think it is. And I think it encourages people to work you create um, communities beyond normal boundaries within the organization. So mm -hmm. if you work in finance, you work in finance, you work in a shop, you work in a shop. Whereas actually, if you belong to the, you know, whatever club it may be, or you do something with other colleagues from other parts of the business, you start to create a highly networked organization, which is hugely powerful, particularly when, you know, we go through tough times like COVID and the chips are down a little bit. Um, you know, we did some work, in looking at resilience in 2020 in September and actually we found you know a poll of 6,000 people were more resilient than actually cohort before COVID of you know other workers and other organizations and you kind of think that that kind of means something when the chips are down mm. um, and so yeah it's often forgotten I think um, and and you know we've talked about this before there's a danger with well-being that people have different understandings of what it means to them. There's also a danger, particularly at the moment, where cost of living crisis dominates so many. You know, the interrelationship between that and anxiety, stress, worry, uh, or, or more serious mental health. You know, it's always been there, but it's just more evident right now. And actually, we live in a dynamic world where things are changing quite quickly and, and inconsistently. Um, I think it's easy to forget that actually those things were always there you know social well-being relationships have always been important yeah, um, yeah but they're just more more seem more important right now or certainly over the last couple of years yeah um, yeah, yeah it's, it's covid and lockdown it was a strange one wasn't well that's an understatement <laughs> but in terms of those relationships yeah. and those connections because in one sense it's isolated us hugely and you sat on the other end of a zoom call and it's not quite the same but in the other sense perhaps it's brought to people's minds just how much they need those relationships and you know that they kind of took for granted beforehand i don't know yeah yeah and, and you know lockdown enforced separation in lots of places and lots of people uh, but some people still had to go to work and i think i think the, the overriding lesson for me was you know we are all individual people and our circumstances are all very different yeah. and you can't talk and treat everyone as if they're the same because they're not um you know that sense of uh, certainly within you know the context where i was working 
we have people that were furloughed. We have people that were expected to go to work every day and face the public and the risks associated with that. Yeah. You had other people that were working from home, you know, with the kids at school, you know, longer at school. And, you know, you had people that were had to shield. There's, there's a variety of different scenarios, actually, where um, some people were worried what's going to happen to their job. Some people, you know, some people enjoyed it, embraced working from home. Um, you know, I didn't personally miss the 16-hour commute every week that I used to do. Um, and I haven't done since, you know. Um, so one size doesn't fit all in any of this. Each of us will have our own kind of view of what, what's, what we need for our own personal well-being and, and our families. Um, that's important to remember, I think. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, that personalisation, that's going to come in more, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. We'll come on to trends. But, yeah, I think that might become in even more, that personalisation of uh, well-being um well-being approaches uh, i was going to ask you was it i mean you've kind of answered this question i'm going to ask was it always well-being for you you kind of answered that question in the sense that it maybe wasn't because you only found out about it as a, a job route back at aviva but I, I think no it wasn't and i think um so having worked in aviva's health business you know my interest from a strategic point of view was competitive so how do we compete with like of Bupa and axa and others um, and actually employee health was the setting so it wasn't about consumer health um, in terms of my work it was more around the corporate um, and so what you traditionally call benefits I guess um, but actually when you when I stepped into the partnership you then started to think about actually how do you bring this to life for people in other ways and actually reactive support is helpful when people are in trouble right we can see the the travails and the challenges the NHS faces, faces at the moment um, that actually it's not okay when people are in pain or have an accident to be waiting outside the hospital and ambulance for hours. There's no fault attached to the ambulance crews. They're not trying to do that. Um, but you also then start to realise that there's a proactive side that actually needs to be focused on. So what can people do right, to take greater responsibility and accountability? Uh, and what can employers do around education, around providing opportunities to engage, providing... A range of services that actually will help people whether it's around their physical health and mental health you know what they eat what they drink the exercise that they take um or their emotional well-being finances and, and you know that whole wider sense of what is well-being um yeah so when you start to delve into that you it starts to become for me really interesting because you know actually you look at where people live and what work they do and how all those things are interrelated it's complicated it's complex um but actually we all just want to enjoy life and have you know a healthy and happy time really don't we mm, yeah so what are the what are the best bits what are the best bits about being a well-being leader within such a large organization or any well, I, I think um every business is completely dependent on their people so mm. whether you know whether you're a small business like myself or or a large organization or or a public sector body you know every business is completely dependent on their people and if you want them to be at their best at work um it typically means they need to be at their best at home uh, as well because actually it's very difficult to separate our lives and partition them and um, perform and behave in a way that you know, if, if one aspect's not not working well the other probably isn't either um and i think you know from an organizational perspective productivity the performance um what you get from your employees the people that make that difference is really governed by where they are physically emotionally uh, financially and all those other things so it direct there's direct correlation for me around um the individual well-being to the collective organizational well-being and the performance customer experience 
uh, the financial performance of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an inextricable link for me. Yeah. There's also research being done on that by far cleverer people than me. But um, you know that link is there. I think it's now um, tested, and I think it's now accepted, um, and that's why it's important. Okay. So, so the best bit. What's the best bit for you personally? You know, is, was there a moment or something that happened, or something you did, or involved in that you were particularly proud of, or you put down as a a success? Yeah, I think so. We won. Um, so we, we changed the, the model in 2013 and we won some awards beyond that for musculoskeletal um, proposition we put in place um, alongside PhysioMed, uh, for the mental health, uh, psychological services we put in place alongside Vita Health. Um, yeah, and we've, you know, we've, we've kind of been picked up as a case study by a series of books and um, we've been in the CBI, Financial Times, um, Kerry Cooper and I Robertson's book, you know, well-being, productivity, and happiness at work. So all of those things are great. But I, I guess, I guess my 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 most surreal moment, I guess, was there was involved the government. So we we um, ran a, a campaign in 2019 called the Working Well Report to mm-hmm. kind of campaign uh, government to give business more tax relief for occupational health and well-being services. Mm-hmm. And we launched that in the Houses of uh, House of Commons with ministers and all the hoi polloi there which is great but that led us to a, a kind of a private meeting with the hm treasury actually's treasury mm. to explain the difference between private medical insurance and occupational health and well-being and actually get beyond the benefit and kind conversation because actually some of the taxation um the way um, companies are taxed and the individuals are taxed in this country has been a disincentive for companies to to um, invest in in those services mm. um, and it's it was good to be able to it was satisfying to be able to drop the, the kind of pebble in the pond and see it kind of drop with yeah. the people that actually make policy um, and it's you know more recently Rishi Sunak's been out to say actually there needs to be greater incentives and we should expect to see that coming any day t- any day soon and it's long overdue um, but yeah no it's something to be proud of and I think something you know if you want UK PLC to be more productive and more competitive on the global market, you need employers to have the right incentive to look after their people and make a meaningful difference to their health and well-being. Yeah. Wow. It's a pretty impressive success. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but well. <laughs> uh, it, it, it is what it is, Matt. And um, it tra- I think you come back to what is it you're trying to do? If you're trying to do the right things for the right reasons, mm. not for a personal gain or, you know, anything like that but actually because you you want people to be healthier and happier at work to be more productive at work those businesses to be more successful then the country will be more successful and then it's quite shocking when you see where we sit in terms of global productivity from what was a world leader in many respects in many industries Mm. Um, i think we need to get back to that as soon as we can Mm. Um, yeah absolutely so we've got some successes some pretty big successes there and stuff you're proud of what about about the mistakes <laughs> about the but, stuff that's uh, gone wrong <laughs> yeah i think um i've always liked to experiment a little bit and try new things because i think if you're not bold if you, if you try and um so i like to challenge the status quo i guess um and that's led us to some huge successes um but i think you should always be willing to kind of admit and recognize that actually something's not working mm-hmm. and adjust it accordingly um when we changed the operating model um, for occupational health the first few days, 
we had a referral process and it was quite clear that from a booking point of view it wasn't working and so we changed it you know three days in um, and it was the right thing to do and actually um, you know the noise died down and actually the service was good um, you know, from the minute we did it um, and I think not being proud too proud to kind of go that's not that's not what we need um, and change things so get good quick is the kind of mantra adapt if you need to um, with all the best intentions not everything works first time you know you can test and retest before you launch but circumstances will change around you sometimes yeah do you think sorry i was just gonna ask do you think that's more difficult to do for some for for, for someone working in well-being than it might be perhaps for you know an operations manager or uh, you know someone leading operations part of a business or finance part of it i'm just thinking because you know one of the things that i hear quite a lot is that you know well-being leaders it's about how do we legitimize that role and get it taken seriously now if you had too many times where you tried to implement an intervention or or a strategy and then quite quickly said oh no it's not going to work we'll do it differently that could potentially be seen as a sign of weakness. Now, I know that's not because that's how you innovate, right? Yeah. You've just described, but I don't know. Um, I think, um, so I think that the way to do it is rather than make grand gestures and make big changes is mm. be progressive. And yes. so experiment and try something on a small scale. Mm. Be clear that you're happy that it works as you want it to, yeah. and then increase the scale, make it a bigger shift. So you, you're kind of road testing it um you're window shopping before you actually buy anything if that makes sense um and and then from there you've got something that you can build on rather than hope it goes okay and wonder why um, and technology is enabling a lot of new you know opportunities new services um to you know it's difficult it's difficult to tell them apart um in some respects um but but yeah um there's lots you could do and you could just spend an awful lot of money so I would come back to the, what are you trying to achieve? Mm. What are your challenges? You know, what are the facts that you've got today? What gaps have you got in that? Fill those knowledge gaps first around what you need to do before you actually set about doing it. And then experiment with on a small scale before you go larger scale um, to make that difference. Um, and I think from that, you become quite adept at adjusting uh, and, and flexing uh, based on changing needs and and the success you know. yeah I'm, I'm i'm big into um design thinking human-centered design yeah, thinking yeah. And similar sorts of things that you're talking about there yeah start small and build it up from there and it's and it's human-led as well right yeah and, yeah. and i think you need but you need to start from being clear on what problem you're trying to solve and what you're trying to get to because mm. if you and too many people put things in place without really knowing um it's um you know the there's a kind of old expression of the butterfly collector. You know, there's lots of but new butterflies are on display, lots of shiny new things. And, oh, yeah, well, we need one of those. Mm. What do you? What, what difference is it going to make? What impact is it going to have? Uh, and if you can't be clear on that, why would you do it until you are clearer? Um, nothing's guaranteed for sure, but um, you should at least have an idea of what you're trying to do and, and uh, what's working well today and what isn't and actually what gaps you're trying to fill yeah um, and being helps. able to measure it i'm assuming as well yeah no exactly that's the kind of a prerequisite really otherwise it's just you know we're just doing stuff aren't you? and, and yeah. you don't have any impact you don't know what difference it makes you just you're just busy 
mm. you're spending money being busy but you don't really know what difference it makes and yeah you know i've seen that a long time ago and i think one of the things i would you know you need to be able to measure what you're doing and report on it uh, because actually otherwise you know why are you spending money doing it yeah yeah you know, as nice to have yeah you know most organizations can't afford nice to haves anymore it needs they need to contribute yeah um, and i think from a making a difference point of view whether that's around you know physical mental health you know financial well-being any of the different dimensions of well-being individually but collectively there needs to be some impact it has on work whether that's around productivity attendance happiness engagement relationships um mm-hmm. you know cohesion social cohesion yeah. um you know recruitment retention all, all those things it needs to lead back to something which is a benefit to the organization yeah okay okay so i'd love to hear more uh, about this role of a well-being leader because obviously you worked at a, you know in a very senior strategic position as a well-being leader for over a decade within a very large organization so wondering whether you can offer listeners any not necessarily advice, but I guess your thoughts in terms of what skills do you think a good well-being leader needs to navigate that role, perhaps? I think, um, so I think on, there's, there's some personal, I'm not sure whether skills or attributes, but um, a bit of both probably. I think you need to be resilient. So first and foremost. Um, so what does that mean, resilient? Well, I, so I think you need to be able to, I think you need um Good levels of self-awareness. I think you can need good levels of emotional intelligence, mm. and you need to be independent in that. You know, not all of your message is going to be welcomed. Um, you know, you know, I, I, I won't, I won't name the conversations with other people, but there have been times where I've been a lone voice saying, "Actually, I don't agree. I mm. think we need to do something different because," mm. um, and that doesn't always sit well with other, you know, other functions in the business. Um, but I think, and you also need to recognise actually, if the company decides to go a different route, well, that's that's their prerogative. You know, it's, there's a collective responsibility and a cabinet responsibility you're also involved with. I think um, as a leader, you need to be a good communicator. You need to be able to manage people. Uh, you need to be able to manage relationships, whether that's within your own team, whether that's with your own stakeholders within the business, or if uh, that's with your suppliers, because one of one of our greatest successes i would say is the the mutual uh, respect but also way we managed um the performance with our um suppliers mm. so we we kind of had a we took a partnership approach rather than a supplier provider kind of client kind of um you know yes there are slas in place but mm. you know we explored if they did, if they weren't quite working why and and how rather than accusatory, if you don't, we will type stuff. And I think that's really, really important. Um, so I think good relationship skills are, are at the center of all of this. I think you need to be able to adapt. COVID's a great example, of course, when you know, everything shut down and you know, you've got people at home, you've got people you can't communicate with directly, you can't, you know, and, 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 and um, all of those things. Um, but I think you also shouldn't lose sight of the fact that you need some fun so you know on a personal basis i'm really clear what i need to balance my working life with my home life and i think sometimes that gets lost i see it on linkedin a lot people saying oh you know what we all thought we you know we never look after ourselves you kind of got to Mm. um you know whether that's around time or whether that's around the types of things you're interested in and like to do 
Mm. Um, you know, I, you know, behind me is a ukulele. That was my lockdown. That was my lockdown learning. So I picked. I, I taught myself to play the ukulele because I was spending 10, 12 hours a day on Zoom calls. Mm. You know, and actually in between times, it was quite nice just to, you know, have a little strum and, yeah. or if you're on a very long meeting on silent, you could strum quietly without mm-hmm. you know, people knowing you were not necessarily completely there. But so so I think um, you need to know your way around the market. You need to know what's going on. You need to know, you know, what's new, what's coming, what's good, what's not. Um, you know, having a network of colleagues and people around, you can validate stuff independently outside of your own work environment, I think is good. Um, yeah, I think um, people, people communication shouldn't ever underestimate that. Yeah. Um, I think because again, you can't do this on your own. So you're reliant on other people and that's, that's, a, that's a great thing. Yeah. But it also means they need to be on the same page and then you need to bring them with you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Lot, lots of good attributes in there. Yeah, <laughs> just get all of those and you'll be fine. <laughs> um, the the management of suppliers is really interesting. We spoke previously on one of these yeah. podcasts to um, Dr. Judith Grant, previously of Mace and I know Judith. Royal Mail. Yeah, Judith. So and and she t- talked about that being a, a whole job in itself, um, yeah. right? She said that was a whole job in itself, managing those suppliers and to make sure that you make the right decisions in terms of purchasing things and whatnot. And then managing those ongoing relationships to make sure you get the best from those, those relationships. But. I'd agree with that entirely. I think um, in, I didn't talk about my very early career. I've mean, been so old and been around so long, uh, but I used to work in sales and um, you know, back in the eighties and nineties. And um, I was fortunate enough to be trained in strategic um, relationship management, by mm. large account management type stuff. Um, and again, it all comes back to the people and what role they play and what frame of mind are they in and, yeah. you know, what do they think of you and actually what are their personal kind of um, strategies and what, what are they aiming for from a career and ambitions and all those other things. And if you can start to understand your um, chosen suppliers and, and what you look for in your suppliers and create a mutually beneficial relationship, mm. which isn't just about price and speed, yeah. although they're important um then if you get to know each other and work collaboratively together i find that works extremely well we've been very lucky to have um, had some really good relationships with some of the you know the companies i've worked with um and that's down to them as much as it is you know to me or or my team um and i think that's important you know it's um and it's it's not then transactional it becomes more important than that yeah yeah, absolutely. You, you touched on something there as well. I was going to ask you about actually. And so you mentioned you did some previous training around strategic, what was it, strategic leadership, strategic thinking, but um, and building those relationships. So I was going to ask, were there any other activities that you that you did or you took part in during your career that you feel really helped you? So it could be training, it could be mentorship, it could be, I'd, I'd, yeah. So I think. Um... Actually, mentorship is a good thing. I still do some of that now. Mm. Um, it, as a as an independent consultant, I'm working with a number of small companies, and I really, really enjoy that because actually, whether you call me, I call them, they call me their advisor or mentor. I don't really care. Mm. Um, but to be able to help a small business find their way in terms of in the market or um, find position themselves so they can grow and be successful. 
um, and on an individual basis grow as a leader of that business you know I find that hugely rewarding um, and um, I, I guess over my career I've done uh, that many many times with people that aspire to become leaders or first-time leaders or new into role um, and it's something I was taught a long time ago something I benefited from myself and something I'm very happy to do on a voluntary basis um, still um, and it's kind of nice because you come back to a or you, you, you ask a lot of questions and you kind of encourage people to think for themselves and find the solutions for themselves and, and bask in their glory. <laughs> that's, the, that's the plan anyway, you know, it's, um, it's kind of nice. You know, we're, as human, human beings, we're kind of meant to be social animals, right? And um, if you can help someone else along the way, I think not by telling them what to do because, uh, you know, um, the world's changing and what I knew and learned in the 80s has definitely changed because of technology and the world around us but but actually some of those lessons in life are still you know human nature is still human nature um it might be more accentuated it might be more extreme in some cases um but yeah um the mentoring and understanding you know pop psychology the whole kind of interacting with people and what drives people what people are trying to get from um from life but from their career um, all of those things are really helpful because mm. um, if you know where people are starting from you can help them aim towards it if you can um if you don't know it's just ignorance and you know there's no depth to that kind of understanding of that relationship i think people respond to that well mm -hmm. you know if you if you care about somebody and the other party recognizes that and you work together on stuff it helps to build mm. I think something more compelling you get the you know the two bits get more than one um, yeah 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 so you said you benefited from mentors in the past and maybe having a mentor and that sort of thing and or certainly being a mentor as well was there any piece of advice you could put your uh, put your finger on that you've really benefited from putting you on the spot there <laughs> yeah no I think um I think you should be there's something around um I think thinking is underrated and underused, right? And I know time gets in the way and, you know, and, and, and one of the, one of the benefits of commuting 16 hours a week, which I used to do before COVID was that I used to have some really great thinking time in the car mm. and um, I don't miss the driving um, at all, but I do miss the thinking. So I've had to create some space in my week to kind of build in some thinking time. Um, Cause if you don't, you just kind of go from day to day to day to day. And so I've kind of got some little um, kind of once a month, I'll go through a bit more of a formal process and kind of think about where I'm at, where the people are around me are at, you know, traffic like them in terms of red, amber and green and what's, you know, so you kind of start to think consciously around uh, people around you, but also, you know, how are things going as, as if you like. So there's something around that for me. Um, I think you, but I think you also need to be true to yourself in terms of what you believe in, what's important to you, what's not. Because if you start, you know, people, what's the saying? People join companies and leave, leave their managers. You know, we don't have control over everything in our working lives. So who, who we work for, you may have been hired by somebody, but they may move to a new role. You know? mm -hmm. And so you get somebody else and, oh, it's not the same. And those things change, they're dynamic and that's normal. Yeah. Yeah. So there is something around us around kind of reflecting and reacting to that. Um, but 
stick with what you believe in because i think if you're if you're not happy and you're not true to yourself mm-hmm. you know that reflects in, in the way you work the way the relationships you have the performance and you know you, we we do all have some degree of control around changing things mm-hmm. um you know so own it you know i think that's that's kind of my uh, and accept that sometimes you're not going to get your way you know there's i find it hugely frustrating particularly on social media particularly you know, see some people stamping their feet in the media and stuff at the moment in various different ways. But you know, people expect to get what they want instantly all the time. It's like, well, life's not like that. You know, mm. it never has been, and it probably never will be. So there is something around understanding you know, where your boundaries are and what's important to you. Mm. Those two things, I'm listening to you talk about that. They kind of go hand in hand. It's really good advice because I'm I'm listening to and I'm thinking. From my perspective, I'd, I don't know where I heard it. I'm sure it's a very old adage, but someone told me once that when you work for an organisation, you're being paid to think, not to do. And I certainly know that I I use doing as a bit of a, def- not a defence mechanism, but I procrastinate with it, right? You know, I get so wrapped up sometimes in the fact that I'm so busy all of the time. But like you say, maybe sometimes it's taking personal responsibility for the fact that it's not going to get less busy unless you make the decision to to carve out some time for yourself to think. Yeah, I think often we all default to task as a way of mm. like I'm busy, so therefore it must be you know it's like well yeah but what have you achieved? Not mm. being busy and tired, right? You know when you ask employees, you know when they over we we measured this for some time, um, you know on a sort of monthly quarterly basis. You know tiredness is repetitively one of the top sentiments of how people feel mm. and it's like it's not because so, you know third people don't sleep very well so that's one reason why people are tired but the other reason is they may be short on resources short of teaching, they're working they're doing extra hours mm-hmm. they've got home care they've got all sorts of other stuff going on as well as their work yeah and and actually you're kind of like mm, you know um, where do you get the thinking time mm. don't you know and actually how, if you don't change anything what's going to be different and the answer is not very much you're just going to get more tired and more tired until you get burnt out or you can't cope anymore, yeah. you know, and that, that doesn't help you or anybody else either. So constructing a kind of a world in which you can kind of build those things into your daily life, I think is important. Um, whether that's walking outside, walking the dog, kids, mm. whatever it may be, yeah. you need to factor in those things rather than hope yeah. it's going to be okay. Yeah. What's the, what's the kids are the source of tiredness? What then? Well, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, well, but then you get back to a, when do they go to bed and do you have fixed routines? And, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, you know, and actually, what can you do to get them tired so they do go to bed and sleep? Yeah. You know, and th- so there are there are lots yeah. of different coping mechanisms, but um, it's not easy. Right? You know, our kids are grown up, yeah. so uh, those are distant memories. But but we, you know, they didn't always sleep. They weren't always good. Yeah. You know, all of that. So life does get in the way a little bit. I understand that. If you've got if you've got any tips to make my kids not get up at seven a.m. on a Saturday and Sunday, that would be appreciated. No, uh, Sorry, <laughs> honestly, you skip at six if that's any help. That yeah, won't make yeah. me feel any better, but you know. So, so still, just final question, I guess, on that kind of advice piece. So, you talked about some of the advice that you've received and whatnot. I want you to take yourself take yourself back to maybe that move from you know when you first discovered well being at Aviva and you know in the proactive sense and whatnot. If you could go back then and give yourself a piece of advice, what do you think you'd say? I don't do know. They do exactly the same. I'm know. not sure I would do much different. Um, I'm not a great one for um, 
so I, I so I do plan and I do think uh, thinking is the key thing mm. and having worked in strategies is a kind of a clue you know I've done an MBA and all those things in the past so I, I like to read I like to look at signals track what's going on around me and and um, there's a really great book if anyone's interested called The Opposable Mind where it encourages you to think about different things in this, in your head at the same time mm. um, and I'm, I, I like that uh, kind of that sort of mental jousting um, scenarios sort of planning type stuff so I'm quite I'm quite comfortable with that ambiguity which I know a lot of people aren't uh, but there is something around um, I would what would I say my advice to myself is um, as I've said to to others I suppose be true to yourself um, and and be bold give it a go you know it's um I, I, there's a lot of cliches in this there's a lot of cliches coming out of my mouth today but the, the whole thing around you know we come this way but once you know this isn't a dress rehearsal for life we are in it and we're living it and it's now right yeah. so um waiting for some sh the sun to come out and some shiny something new to come along and it'll all be better and make it all better you, you need to own it um mm -hmm. so take take ownership of your own health and well-being you know, if you're eating crap food and not sleeping and not exercising, yeah. you know, you are going to put on weight, you are going to get health issues, mm -hmm. you know, et cetera. You will be tired. Most people know that. Mm -hmm. And yet we, we, we're not great at kind of making sure that we kind of um, look after ourselves. So I guess that would be another piece of advice is actually make sure you look after yourself in all of this as well. Yeah, so. Okay. Okay. So I'll stop. I'll stop. Um, grilling you about, about your career for a second and I just wondered whether we could spend just five minutes thinking about like the state of the the industry a bit more broadly um you mentioned earlier that you think things have changed hugely since the 80s what's what's changed what's what's I think, so that's, I think some really positive things so I think um stigmatization of mental health particularly is as drastically reduced um I still think we're we're not there um there was a survey out last week I think a third of employees still won't uh, wouldn't want to disclose to their manager that they've got mental illness or mm. mental health challenges um and i think that's sad but it's an improvement on what used to be 50 or 60 percent um so i think it's heading in the right direction uh, more work to do i think um the the use of technology to enable scale um scaled uh, robust solutions is outstanding um the flip side of that is there's an awful lot of stuff which isn't maybe outstanding so it's difficult to see the wheat from the chaff if you're a, a well-being leader you know if you look at the app store there's tons of stuff most of which invalidated most of which in evidence-based but may look nice mm -hmm. right and so how do you know what will make a difference and has impact um will make a difference to your employees personal lives and to your organizational uh, well-being you know, you kind of need some help potentially, or you need to be clear on um, you know, where you're going for things. Mm. Um, I think the, you mentioned this earlier on personalization, um, it's, it's become a, a, a positive thing. And I think we'll see more of that because um, we are all different. And so we don't all want or need the same things. Mm. And so the ability to tailor, you know, what you receive and how you get it, I think is really, really good. And I think you'll see that impact in terms of the results that are achieved over time. Mm. Um, so I think that's good. I think um, the integration of different types of services, physical, mental, 
you know, those type of things along with proactive and reactive is also great um, work in progress. But I think we'll start to see that come through and, you know, then it, then it becomes much easier for everyone. It is easier for people. The analogy is the mobile phone. You know, no one thinks twice about their smartphone and the apps they've got on it because it's the ultimate in personalization. You choose what you want on it. Yeah. Apart from the stuff that Apple insists that you have, um, and you tailor it to your personality, your lifestyle, you know the utilities that you want to help make your life easier, um, or not, you know. Um, and I think we'll see much more of that capability translate into the world of wellbeing, mm. uh, which is good. Okay. Um, yeah, it's good. And what do you think about the the state of the wellbeing in the workplace? industry you know so uh, I talk quite a lot about the fact that you know attend conferences over a decade ago and it's well-being's on the cusp of something great now <laughs> it's going to change and organizations will take it seriously and then I heard a similar thing about six months ago <laughs> that's a big old cusp <laughs> yeah no I think um, so I think there's a, a, a understanding of what it is issue um, you know Directors, leaders in the C-suite and all the you know, large companies, um, you know, they, of course, they want their people to be well and perform well and do well. And, you know, of course, you know, and we forget too often that 90% of the workforce in the UK work in small and medium sized companies. They don't work in PLCs and 100,000 people and, and they don't. They work in, you know, units of 10 or 12 or six or and actually that's a different ballgame altogether. And I think there's something around. Uh, enabling uh, small, medium-sized companies to get good advice, to understand and educate from the people that lead those businesses about actually how it might help them and their workers yeah. if they invest in you know, whatever it is um, that may help them. Um, so I think there's something around that. Um, I think, you know, often you're competing internally within the larger organisations from a budget point of view, for attention, you know, right now, you know, if you're a business that's reliant on heat or, or energy um, mm. to run your manufacturing business, wherever it is, you know, the well-being benefits, as they're seen, are really not very important compared to can we keep the lights on and the furnaces going or, you know, mm. the trucks rolling. And, you know, there is a kind of a survival kind of can we keep the business going? Mm. Um, and then on the other end of that, you've got some very successful businesses that are thriving in the face of you know, economic um, uncertainty. Um, and, and again, one size doesn't fit all. Um, back to your thing about the well-being, I, I think sometimes it's picked up as a flag of convenience. Um, the truth is those companies have always been reliant on their people. Mm. Um, and I think the nature of the world is more complex today. There's lots more uncertainty. Um, the ch mental health challenges are coming through in spades and been growing over the last you know, two, three, five years. But mm -hmm. certainly since COVID, it's, and it's getting worse and it's getting younger. So if you look at the, the level of anxiety and uh, mental health challenges in schools and universities, mm -hmm. which will translate into the workforce as they come through, mm -hmm. that's not going to go away. It's going to get worse. Um, aligned to, you know, challenges around uh, provision of treatment the nhs being under massive pressure everywhere yeah um you kind of how does that how does that get better mm -hmm. and layering on top of that um you kind of got the financial so cost of living crisis everyone's talking about that as you know 
it's the big well-being kind of thing at the moment mm. it is really important um but it's not the only challenge you know mm. the other stuff is there if people aren't having their hips replaced and they're waiting two years you know their mobility their ability to function at work you know the pain that they're in you know well, you know six hundred thousand people have left the workforce in the last couple of years many of which due to ill health you know 1.2 million people have got long covid there's a whole load of other health related issues and well-being aspects which weren't here three years ago mm-hmm. um and that has an impact on can't recruit people mm-hmm. you've got the hospitality sector retail sector it's difficult it's difficult to recruit people mm-hmm. same with things like drivers there are key elements of this business i think the uk is the third worst in terms of um resource levels pre compared to pre-covid levels um, i think switzerland and estonia are the two worst mm-hmm. um and that means that everybody else at work is under more pressure because actually there aren't enough hands on deck and we're doing more from less people. Yeah. Um, where that's automated and um, uh, designed out, that's great. But in many cases, it's not. It's just people just having to suffer more and work harder yeah. uh, or longer or both. Managing those risks is well-being as well, though, right? You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. And it's yeah. not just it's not just the workforce. This applies to the leadership team. You know, mm. burnout is a thing, and you know it's a real thing. Mm. Um, and I think we'll see more of that um, at, at senior levels as well as middle. You know, mid the middle managers. I think probably at the moment are, are um, copping the worst of it. The mm. squeezed middle mm. from above in terms of expectations around budget, resources, and all the, the way operationally run the business, but also from below in terms of the people that they work. Who work for them, um, and how do you kind of square a circle? Um, it's tough, yeah. tough, tough, tough. Got you. And I'm asking you to, I'm asking you to speculate here. <laughs> but as you were talking about that, one of the things that often comes to my mind, and this is my thought, not yours. <laughs> um, so I'm not, I'm not saying you said this, but um, I find a lot of organisations, particularly large corporates, there's a risk that some of this becomes virtue signalling around well-being in a sense. Now. Uh, you know, I'm sure it wasn't perfect at John Lewis, but that's an organisation that seems to stand out that they that it's not that, you know, in a, in, a, in a sense. And the reason I say that is because, you know, you have to look at something like the partnership model. Yeah. And that's something on a fundamental business level that they are doing that potentially impacts people's well-being positively. Other organisations, they might stop short of that. Right. They'll say, oh, we'll give them we'll give them yoga sessions. But we're not going to turn it into a partnership model because that would mean fundamentally changing our business. <laughs> you see what I mean? So I don't I know, know yeah. whether you yeah, think no, any of that goes on or. Yeah, no, I think it does. And I think, uh, and you're, you're the right, the partnership is a values-based organization and the intentions are good. Not always perfect, no. uh, but the intentions are the right intentions. And, um, you know, that's a good place to start with. And again, why stay for 10 years? Um, not everyone is in that same space. And uh, I think, Increasingly, particularly younger members of the workforce, expect their the people that they work for to care for them. They expect them to have values, yeah. not just about them, but around sustainability, the planet, the world, climate, yeah. um, a whole range of other things. And I think those those employers that don't will find it increasingly hard to retain and, and attract staff. Mm. Um, and you know, I think that's a good thing, right? Because actually, it will encourage more people to proactively make positive choices around the way they run their business. Mm. Um, which I think is good. Um, certainly around the planet, you know, we certainly need it. Um, but certainly around health and well-being in the workforce as well. You know? Yeah, I've got you, got you. Okay, 
So it leads me to my last question, my most difficult question out of the whole one. <laughs> it, out of all the questions that I've asked you, or, or when you logged on today, was there one question that you wish I had asked you? And if so, what is it and how might you have answered? That's a big one to think of on the spot. Uh, I guess the obvious one is how do I maintain my own sense of perspective and well-being? Because I get asked that a lot, well, what do you do? Because it's all about talking. There's a, there's a risk in this space of well-being leadership that you end up broadcasting and pontificating and mm. And when actually we've all got our own view of what's important to us and what we need. Um, so, as I said earlier on, for me, the importance is to understand yourself and what's important, but then translate that into the way that you live your life. Um, I do that a number of different ways. So one, um, you know, so I don't work full time on work, work anymore. I've kind of got some, I've got buckets of things. So I've got work, 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 paid work. I've got some voluntary stuff that I do. Um, and I've got some um, hobbies or interests that I'm turning into probably work. So I'm, I'm painting quite a bit now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just in the process of setting up an online sales um, art shop, awesome. um, which is yeah. good. Yeah. So turning a hobby into kind of a, hopefully a small, modest income stream. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like to go and watch live sport, particularly rugby. So I watch uh, with a couple of friends. Um, I go to my old rugby club as well. Um, so that involves, I have to be careful that it doesn't involve, um, you know, we don't get too social, but um, but that's, again, that's good. But every day um, I'll try and walk for half an hour. Um, this weather's, that's a bit of a test, but, um, and, and it's just making, making sure you've got some balance in your life. Um, try and take holidays, get to the sea or get away, act to the environment. Um, out of this desk away from zoom um spend oh, time right. with <laughs> well, yeah, while you're on a zoom call <laughs> it's a balance right yeah no but it's a balance yeah, yeah. and and you know I've, I've spent you know like a lot of us have 10 12 hours a day on calls and then without you know with or without breaks it's making sure that actually you protect the important things so your relationships your time outside yeah. um having some fun you know because again um, life is to be enjoyed. Um, that's, that's tough at the minute. I understand that a lot of people find it very, very tough. But we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that actually we are here to kind of have have some fun with people that we we like being around. So absolutely cool. Good place to finish up. So I don't, I've got one final final question, which is where can people find you? What's next? And where can people find you? And is there anything you'd like yeah. to plug to our audience as well? Yeah, well, I, so the physically, you can find me in Bath. I live in Bath in West Country, which, if you're on a weekend away, is a beautiful place to visit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's built on um, sort of Roman remains and all that stuff. So that's, it's a beautiful part of the world. Um, from a work point of view, you can find me on LinkedIn uh, or you can find me at nickdavison.art, um, which is my latest um, thing. But, but yeah, no, by all means, um, if you want some help, um, any advice by me, Shaq. Um, I'm always happy to. I'm never short of an opinion. <laughs> you know, it's up to you what you know what you make of it. But um, but yeah, it's been good. So Appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us and to our listeners. It's been great. Thank and, you, man. Uh, hopefully, been... get you on a future podcast as well. Look forward <laughs> to it. Nice cool. to see you. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.